Okay. So, um, you know, whenever you texted me yesterday morning, last minute, um, I was actually really excited because you said something. You said, like, you know, just kind of, and really what we even talked about on Thursday, like just this month, and just talking about just the brokenness and healing and, and, and all of these things. And, you know, we were sitting here Thursday and um, Derek was here. And, you know, you even said, like, man, I hope Sunday wasn't too heavy. And for me, I don't know, that, that book that, I, that, that you had um, by Kent Hughes, you know, his whole commentary on First Timothy, he's talking about, like, spiritual sweat. You know, he's talking about, like, man, we got to start. And so I think it's time we as a church start lifting some heavy weights. Amen. Right? Like, get past the bubble gum and lollipops of Jesus and get into, like, some real weighted stuff. Right? Like, um, when Paul says, you know, you should be eating meat, but we're st- you're still having to, yeah. you know. And I think we need that. I really do. I think we need to start. And, and now more than ever, right? Um, so last week we talked about or Pastor Chris talked about shame. And um, I have some of, some of actually what you said last week like came up as I was studying for this today. But, um, you know, all the negative results that come from shame. And there, there's a cool movie. Some of you may have seen this. It's called The Heart of Man. But he says in there, he, one of the guys says, like, man, why does the devil use shame? Because look at the ROI of shame. Look at the return on investment. It's a lifetime. It sets a person down a trajectory that takes, for some people, 50-plus years to get over. One of the guys in the films actually says it took him over 50 years to wipe the face of his father off of God's face. And it just deals with shame at, a, at such an amazingly deep level. So, you know, how fitting is it? I grew up in a lot of shame. I grew up in a lot of shame, heavy abuse in my home, and just, man, there was so much there, and, it, and, it, and it's still, there's still some healing going on in me. Um, and I think shame is, and they may even talk about this in the movie, but shame is probably one of the leading causes of our brokenness, of our sin. It's, there's, there's things that happen early on in our life, and it just, I mean, even what you've talked about, some of what Caleb, what y'all notice in him as a, as a toddler, it's there. You know, it's already there. And so, and, and to be clear, like, as, you know, I kind of was thinking about this. I was thinking about, like, inner healing. And when I was researching this, there's a big, like, Christian movement for inner healing that has a lot to do with New Age. That's not at all what I'm talking about today. Whenever I say inner healing, it's nothing to do with, like, I think there's, it was talking about people that, like, you meditate on these times and you just really just focus on these times of, of the source of all your brokenness. And then you just imagine Jesus in that moment with you. And that's, you know, there's a lot of it was wrapped up in mysticism. I was like, man, this is, I don't want it to be perceived that that's what I'm talking about. It's not. Um, I think that God is a God of restoration. I think God is a God. Of, I know God is a God of restoration. And so when we talk about inner healing, it's about what he's doing to our heart. It's about what he's doing to our soul. And it's nothing to do with what we do or what we can imagine doing. So, um, you know, the enemy has used shame for another purpose also. And so, you know, it goes back to like what you said that one time about how the devil puts a thought in your mind. And then once you've thought it, he, he, he makes the accusation. Look at you, you dirtbag, you sinner, you thought that thought when he originally put it there. And he's done something else, too, with shame. 
not only has he caused shame, or has he given us shame and put shame on us to wreck our lives, but he's also given us a false sense of what's good and bad, right? He's given us this, he's distorted the view of what's good and bad. And he's, and he's given us this false sense that we should never feel what we associate with bad. And so what do we do? We fill our lives with things that are good, right? We try to fill our lives with things that are good. And, can, and you know, you talked about Eve in the garden last week. She saw that the fruit was good, right? Not everything that we think is good is beneficial. That's scripture, right? Yeah. All things are, are um, permissible. permissible, but not all things beneficial. She saw that it was good. So he's, he distorts, through shame, he distorts what we perceive to be good and bad, right? He convinced Eve in that moment, God is lying to you. He's, he's holding something good back from you. Right, I've, I've discipled a, an older gentleman actually, who, like his biggest argument with me was marijuana was given by God. Why can't I? Why can't I smoke pot, man? I don't get it. It's a plant, and you know, but but it's this distortion of what's good and bad. It's this distortion that God will never really be enough. Um, but is that you know, as we think about that, like, is it biblical? Should we only ever feel good? Should we only ever feel good things and never bad, right? Job says that, doesn't he? Should we accept only good from God and not, and not evil also? And so I started thinking about the process I went through in my life for healing and what that looked like for me, and it was hard. It was hard. Um, so it was, for me, it was, it was a willful breaking. Right? It was a willfully broken heart that I had to come to. And we were talking this week about um, Oswald Chambers says that like, until we come to a broken neck place in our life, we can never really start to understand who God is. Until God allows us to break the neck of our pride, of our identity, of our, you know, um, our persona, until that's broken in us, we can't really start to understand who he is. And so it's... There, there's a there's a, a there's there's a hard um, uh, path that we take as we as we start to heal. And Marshall was over the other day, and I was listening to Jason's podcast. I love Jason's podcast; it's really cool. Have you listened to it yet? I are. It's really good. It's really good. Um, but in one of his, he's talking about the broken man, and I was talking I was talking to Marsha and Candace because it's like it's ironic, like. If I take a pillow and I destroy it a thousand different ways, most people would never say that I broke the pillow, right? You tear it, you shred it, you whatever. Yeah. If I cut my, myself, I don't think about it as breaking myself. It's, it's a laceration, it's a cut, it's a burn, whatever. But we think of our heart as breakable, right? Like why do we think of our heart as breakable? And, and I don't have like, there's no punchline here. I don't really have an answer. Yeah. I know that we have a heart of stone and God gives us a heart of flesh, but like, man, am I okay with, 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 this, with this breaking of my heart? Like if, if I'm thinking of that in that sense, and he reads a poem in there, um, this guy inter- interacting with God, this kind of this dialogue with this man be- between him and God, and he's talking about, man, I'm, he's talking to God, he said, I'm broken, I'm breaking, all these things are falling off of me. God's like, no, you're not broken, you're becoming, right? And as God grows us 
things have to fall off. You know, it's the old, um, we found it. We finally found the, 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 the image. There's a Puritan image from like the 1600s of this tree up in New England that like when the winter comes, the leaves don't really die. I mean, a lot of them fall off, but some of them hang on until spring. And then as new growth comes, it pushes the dead off. And so as Christ is pumping new life into us, the dead things fall off. Um, so, you know, in our, we, we search for good. Like getting back to the point, we, we spend all this time searching for what's good. Right? And if we look at society today, it gives us so many options for, for what it says is good things. And unfortunately, you know, not even to talk about society because, like, the world is broken, right? They haven't received Christ. But even in our church, even in our churches, these things are being considered good. And, like, so we become convinced that God is not enough and that we as a society, uh, we, we begin to welcome in all sorts of ungodliness. So we look at the, the sexualization of our, of our youth. Yeah, I remember years ago, like, there were websites dedicated to teen pop stars, like, counting down to their 18th birthday. Like, how disgusting are we as a society that things are so overly promiscuous? And you don't have to go far. You don't, you, know, you flip through local channels. Um, you know, the wrath and the rage and the anger that we have as a society, you have, I mean, all you have to do is scroll through Facebook. You don't have to go two pages down. And it's there. It's hatred. And the guys, again, I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about the church. Um, You know, divorce is just out of this world in the church. We were sitting with the lady at our house just a couple weeks ago. She's at a church, and they're telling her, like, yeah, you probably should just divorce him. It's like, man, it's not that you're condemned for doing it, but that should never be our our lead-in, right? (laughs) Um, The bitterness, the offense. You know, this is, this is us as a church. We've, been, we've become so convinced that Christ isn't enough, and so we need all these other things that are going to satisfy us, right? This is the apple for us. Um, and, it, and it's not new, right? Like Isaiah says in 520, he, said, he says, you know, woe to you that call good evil and evil good, right? So, like, this is, this is ongoing. This has been ongoing. It's not new. There's nothing new under the sun. It's not new to us. It's just... Again, as a church, as a church, we have a higher calling because there is healing for us. We just have to reverse our thought on what that looks like. You've read, have, has anybody here ever read The Pilgrim's Progress? It's an awesome book. I love that book. So he goes into the dusty parlor. You remember that scene? Uh, yes. He goes into this dusty parlor, and the, the interpreter calls in somebody to sweep the floor. It's full of dust. As you sweep the floor, what happens? We all know, like, if you go into a room and you start dusting, it just stirs it up. And then he calls in somebody else to sprinkle water. And once the water has settled all the dust, they were able to sweep it, right? And the, 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 the sweeper represents the law, and the woman who sprinkles the water represents the gospel. God doesn't want to just dust us off. Does that make sense? Like, we want God to heal us on the surface, but God is trying so hard to get into the root of things. Um, you know, and, and it's like we want to hold on. We have this image of like wanting to hold on to who we were, but cling on to Christ also. In Luke 17, uh, 17, 33, right, we're warned against holding on to things. 
He says those who try to hold on to their life will lose it, and those who lose it gain it. There's, a, there's this real paradox in, in the kingdom of God that just it, it goes against everything that society or, or, or our mind, our logic tells us is right. You know, defend yourself. We have to fight. We have to stand up and we have to fight. But Jesus said, Peter, when he's talking about Jesus, look what he says. He didn't, do, he didn't return any of the evil that was given to him. He endured it. And you know, um, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, 1 John 3. I love this. Um, I love this verse. 3. And I'm just going to start in 7. I'm going to read through like 9 or 10. Maybe go through 10. Um, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this is it, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So there's two things there. Like one, the purpose of Christ was to destroy all the shame that we live in. The purpose of Christ was to destroy, and, and that mimics, I think it's Hebrews 2, where he says the same thing. Like his purpose in coming was to unseat the devil. And, and, you know, what troubles me is how easy it is to, to think, like, to be on, the, on a dirty floor scrubbing with a toothbrush and to think, why do you have me here, God, right? To be like Job and say, you know, why is this happening to me? And to overlook what Christ was willing to endure to unseat the powers of death. To create true healing, healing that would go beyond anything that we can produce, right? Anything that any doctor can prescribe, anything that any psychologist can, can guide us through, Christ destroyed the source. Look what he says in verse 9. He says his seed is in us. Because, you know, and Christian has said this before, it's not our sin that gets us condemned. It's our, it's our rejection of Christ. We get so caught up on, like, the individual things, you know, oh, I can't stop drinking, or I can't stop Lusting, or whatever, whatever it is, I can't stop. And we get so caught up in that that we forget that there's something deeper than that. There's something deeper. There's a heart of stone that that Christ wants to remove, but I don't let him right because because I'm trying to hold on. I'm trying to hold on to my life because I'm afraid of what it could look like. I'm afraid of what it could what it could expose. But it says that we die. We die to who we were. You know, when we led house church, um, you know, sometimes I would tell things and we'd leave and cancel it. Hey, maybe, you know, tone that down a little bit. Like, they don't need to know all of that. But, you know, and, and, I, know that, and I know that there's a time for, like, some openness and a time not for. Like, uh, you know, I get that. But, um. But it's, you know, there was just this recurring idea in my mind, like, if you hate the guy I was six, seven, eight years ago, like, me too. I hated him too. But it wasn't until I surrendered and I allowed Christ to really come in and do inner healing. And it had to expose 
all the darkness. You know, we're so convinced that, that, that there's like a darkness about God. Like whenever we read through the Old Testament, we see God like destroying entire nations. Right? We read through the prophets, and it's like, man, this is dark. And we, we begin to shroud God in darkness because we don't understand this about him. But what is the purpose of every prophet's message? It's Christ. Everything that's going on. You know what I love is right after God confronts Adam and Eve for their sin, look what he says. I think it's 3.15. He says, like, I'm going to put enmity between you and, and the devil, between your offspring." Everything that happened between chapter 3 and the end of this was to bring restoration. Ephesians says that he's uniting all things in heaven and earth back to himself. Nations were destroyed, and, and, and God had to utterly root out sin and idolatry in Israel time and time again. Why not just clean the surface, right? Like, why not just, hey, I'm going to come in, and I'm going to wipe this out, and then you're all going to be good. But he sent them into exile. Right? There, there was tearing down and rebuilding and, and just this idea of tension exists all throughout Scripture, but it all culminates in perfect healing. And there's this um, really cool quote from uh, John Piper's book, God is the Gospel. You ever read that? No. So, me neither. I've never read it either, but I found this quote from it. <laughs> um, Listen to this. He says, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disaster, could you be satisfied with that heaven if Christ was not there? We want good things. We just have a tendency to want them without the cross. We want healing. We just have a tendency to want it without the cross, without the pain, without the, without the suffering. But look at what, and I think I've actually said this before, um, whenever we were over at CCS, but I love this. Like This is one of my favorite um, scriptures. Is Paul is talking about... Um, you know, everything that he was, right? He's talking about everything that, that he ever was. And he says, um, he says that I was willing to count it all as rubbish. I think the King James Version even says dung. Like I was willing to count it as dung for the sake of what? Of knowing Christ. Like, man, I'm willing to take everything that identifies Billy. I'm willing to take everything that people think about me and crucify it at the cross so that when I die, all people will ever remember is Billy was a, a disciple. He, he loved Jesus. He was totally and utterly in love with Jesus so much so that he was willing to die to himself. You know, 1 Thessalonians, um, I think it's 2.19 Paul says this, he says, what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting when Christ returns? Is it not you? It's not about what we do. It's about the impact we have on the people in our lives. And we can't do that from a place of shame, right? Because the devil has so convinced us that we, that we should be ashamed of ourselves, that we're afraid to step into what God's calling us to step into. Um, Merrick, uh, the, this Polish 
Catholic army ranger guy. This guy had this phenomenal career. And the first time I met him, he was like, yeah, I kind of just gave it all up because I'd rather teach men how to love. And it's like, wait, what? Like, I mean, this guy is like top of his class in West Point, Army, like one of the most high achieving people I've ever met. And he's like, but if perfect love casts out fear and I can teach you how to love the way Christ loved, man, like you could write the book God's calling you to write. You could write the songs God's calling you to write. Open the store, do whatever God's calling you to do. You can finally live it out because you're now living from a place of love and not from a place of fear and shame and guilt, right? Like we've got to get over the lie that we've believed. We've got to get over um, this idea of shame in our lives. And so everything from, from the fall of man to the coming of Christ was, it was a healing process, but it's pain. All through the scriptures we see pain. And if, and if, you know, scripture is to be believed, he says all of these things were a substance of what was going to come. Jesus was willing to endure that pain, the pain of all the nations, yeah. right? Like we can look and we can say, God, how could you do this to this nation? But he was willing to take it on himself, right? He was willing to take all of that pain of every nation on himself. The shame that's associated with the cross, right? Not just to Jews, like we think about that, to the Greeks also, like to the first people that, you know, outside of the Jewish world, like these Greeks receiving the gospel, these were high thinkers. These were great philosophical men. A cross? Like that's your savior? Yeah. And it's just, you know, it's, it's, I think it just over and over and over again, we need to be reminded of like, 1 John 3, 8 and 9, like the reason he came was to destroy the works of the devil. The shame is the work of the devil. He, the cross destroys that. We just have to be willing to bring it to the cross, right? God doesn't want to dust us off. He wants to sprinkle us with the blood of Christ. We're washed by the, you know, baptism. Like there's so many representations in our faith that show this washing. And then we can't go on sinning. It's not that we'll never sin again, but we can't go on in a habit of sinning because why? I'm remade. I'm a new being. The old man has passed away. I crucify my flesh. I'm, I die daily. Like all these things Paul said over and over and over just to drill into our mind that it's, it's, a, it's a daily struggle. It's a daily surrender. It's a daily death yeah. that we die. Um, amen? Is that okay? Is that okay? Like. Very good. What we can do, that's awesome. Let's just stay right on that. Um, and so, let's, can you guys remind or let's go over a couple of things you just said? So, um, or anything that just kind of stirs something up, or as you're listening to him, God's speaking to you about. Um, well, I was just, I don't know what I was thinking. Maybe sometimes convicted.